We have the ingredients today to see some strong storms and we're already seeing it. Storm is entering very warm waters and an environment that's going to let it intensify quickly. Journalists. They occupy one of the most important roles in our society, bringing us up-to-date information, usually with little breaks or vacations in between. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then you probably don't know any journalists. And if you don't know any now, well, I have some bad news for you because journalism jobs are being cut across America. Last year, Northwestern University found that an average of 2.5 newspapers closed per week in the US and now, over 200 counties across America have no local news outlet at all. Well, what changed? People are moving away from traditional media and they're moving to social media in the form of TikTok and Instagram. And sometimes there, they are finding information. Other times they're finding who the F did I marry? No offense to Risa Tisa, but if there's a hurricane coming, you need to know. So that's why I have my guest here today, Samantha Brooks. She was a journalist in South Carolina up until a couple months ago, when things changed in her local market. But I'll let her tell the story for herself. This is The Analyzation Show with your host, Anastasia Palinskaya Redman. Stay tuned. Welcome to The Analyzation Show, Sammy Brooks, Samantha Brooks. I know you from college at UCF, but now you are growing in the professional world from your time in meteorology to now you're in a new role. Tell us a little bit about yourself first. Introduce yourself because I think that was a very lackluster introduction. Uh, tell us about yourself. Yes, yeah, so um, I just, it feels very recent, but I actually am about to celebrate six months at my new role. Um, I was a on-air broadcast meteorologist for four years, almost exactly like to the day from when I got there to when I left. And um, it definitely had its up and ups and downs. The news industry is a very strange place nowadays where you um, want some, you want to be there your whole life and that's your dream and your aspirations. And then it's the kind of industry that you get into and you're like, okay, this is not what it looked like or sounded like. And thankfully we live in a world nowadays where you can do podcasts, you can be a creative, become a content creator. You can use things that you learned in journalism school to still have a career and still feel that enthusiasm, um, maybe not working for a news station anymore, but maybe working for yourself or um, a content creation company or um, just still being able to follow your dreams, which is really nice. And um, thankfully, I was able to do that. Definitely feel like felt like the world was falling down, like the um, rug got pulled out beneath me um, when we my company decided to drop our morning show. So um, they just told us, okay, in the next few weeks is going to be our last morning show. I mean, this is a show that it aired four hours a day, Monday through Friday, most watched show. There's four stations here where I live, and it was our most watched morning show. All the Nielsen sweeps and everything came back that we had the best morning show because all the other um, stations always would switch over to like Good Morning America or um, national programming while we stayed local. And that was our thing. So, I mean, ever since they dropped the morning show and then I had the opportunity to either stay or leave, it actually broke my contract when they decided to drop that morning show. So I actually used that as an opportunity to get out 
of the industry. I kind of just wanted to take a break. I didn't think I was going to stay out. But now that I'm out, it's like, okay, you can kind of reflect on all the things that happened while you were there. And then um, a lot of groups that I'm in, kind of like support groups for journalists. Like I said, it's a kind of scary place in news, um, journalism, not just at the local level, but of course, nationally, no matter how high up you get, there's still going to be really big struggles when it comes to working in news. So thankfully, I was still able to take my passion for weather and science and um, like sustainability and ended up finding a really awesome gig. I work for the government now. Um, we they call it SCORE. So it's the South Carolina Office of Resilience. And it's a really new, um, we're a really new agency. We were mandated by our governor, Henry McMaster, after we had um, really bad floods. It was Hurricane Joaquin kind of just stalled over South Carolina. Um, we saw record-breaking flooding. I mean, homes that weren't even in the flood zone flooded in that 2015 storm. Then we had um, Hurricane Matthew and Hurricane Florence, which impacted areas along our coast. So after those three storms within three years, our governor said, what are we doing about this? I'm forming an agency that literally just focuses on this. So um, we do housing recovery. We do mitigation. So um, we're doing storm drainage projects and stuff that before the storms, we're trying to make South Carolina more resilient from those storms. So we're um, trying to change the laws when it comes to um, how houses are built, like certain requirements in houses. So they're not just going to flap away in the wind when a big storm comes. Um, we're trying to protect areas that are in the flood zone. So we'll buy out parks and stuff like that, make them into parks so that if it floods, not a big deal. We're getting people out of harm's way. And then we also do buyouts. And then um, what I think is the coolest is our infrastructure program. And that is um, really a lot of our storm drain across the whole nation are um, out of date. So back 20 years ago, it would rain, of course, but it didn't rain as much rain and as fast. So a lot of our infrastructure across the entire United States is so outdated that when we get these storms, I mean, you see down in South Florida all, all the time, Charleston, all the time, the littlest amount of rain, a little storm, not even a tropical system. We're not even talking like as big as it can get. And you're seeing flash flooding. And we have, um, a we gave $10 million or SCORE gave $10 million to the city of Charleston. And um, we just, it's still under construction, but it's in, it's almost done. There's just two more pumps that need to be installed, but it's this giant underground tunnel that when it storms like that, and it's right in the medical district of Charleston. So it's in an area that if that area gets flooded, no ambulances can come in and out. If there's a medical disaster or if um, if someone needs a heart transplant, if there's flooding in the roadways and no one can get to or from that medical district, I mean, it's a really scary thing. It might even, you might lose lives just right there. So this tunnel goes underground and it just by gravity is already working, but then it will have a pump system that will pump some of that water. Um, Cause they're saying Charleston in about 20 years is gonna flood twice a day just wow. by tidal flooding, not even storm related. Wow. Sorry, I just went on. No, you, the thing is, 
girl preach <laughs> I, I was love like oh it. my god she's just nodding and I'm like I'm going and going no I love it because uh for you know for those who are not familiar I also work in sustainability and in the news I'm a I actually had my own pivot so I had been working in news uh full-time as a producer and was working on an environmental segment separately and as a part of it it was just my salary work it was just extra work I was doing for free basically and I had an opportunity to leave but I loved the work I was doing so much with this reporter that I was thankfully able to convince uh, management to allow me to stay on as a freelance producer so we get to speak all the time in South Florida with people who are in these resiliency roles but I really am not as familiar with the conditions that cause, you know, flooding in South Carolina, the way that they do here. I mean, some of these things are, there's overlap and some of these things are different. I mean, there, there's so many things that lead to this. So I, this is, this is the right person you're telling this all to. Awesome. I know. Because, and I've, I've been seeing yeah. all the don't trash my treasure, like stuff that yeah. you've been doing. And I'm just like, I love that. And I don't think that, I mean, there's always going to be environmental reporters, but I feel like when you think of an environmental reporter, you're thinking of like natural gas and, and like, just like stuff like that. Like we're not thinking environment as in like, our, can our earth sustain these storms or are, do we need to change the flood zones? I mean, we we're working with a nonprofit trying to get FEMA to change the floodplains because the floodplains are not accurate. There's wow. homes that are not in the floodplain that do flood and then vice versa. But obviously that one's more important. I mean, you go to buy a home, you're, you're putting your whole life savings down on this home. And um, they say a 1000 year flood Sound, doesn't sound that scary, but a 1,000 year flood, I believe is 20% chance that in your 30 year mortgage, your home will be flooded. Wow. Like and if you, live, if you live in that flood zone. The thing is in, in a lot of, you know, the Southern United States, this is uh, something that we're dealing with and it's, it's terrifying, but it's also so important. It's one of these reminders of how important science is because like you said, this, you are a part of a new agency, even nowadays when I, um, you speak to people because there are a lot of people who went from journalism to being a PIO, a public information officer, some more sort of other role in the community where they are communicating. So often you meet people who have left news and they say, oh yeah, 10 years ago, we would never talk about environmental stories or 15 years ago. I mean, it's something that you do get excited when you see people reacting in a way that they want to actually do something to prevent disaster. So you're in such an interesting position because you went from meteorology to now your role where you are today. Talk to me about, about that transition because I think that Journalism is such a muscle and there's some there's certain things that do transfer over, but there are certain things that are just in that industry. And then what had what was a struggle to transfer over, but then also what was seamless given the obvious tie in between these two different roles? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, probably the main thing I can think of. So when I was doing weather, our show was from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. So that means 
we're live on air, like in our positions at 5 a.m. So that means mic check is around 4.30. You have to have your hair and makeup done by like four. And then most anchors, they're looking through their scripts. As a meteorologist, I'm putting together a forecast. And I mean, when I first started, it would take me about an hour to put together my forecast. Of course, you'd have like calm weeks or really nice weather. So your forecast would only change a little bit each day. But if it was a really busy week, it was still taking me 45 minutes to an hour to do that forecast. And again, this is at 3, 3.30 in the morning. Um, I'm waking up at 2 a.m. And um, then once the show started, 5 to 9, I mean, we always told our viewers that there was about um, two minutes between every weather and traffic check check-in and um, some days if we had an anchor or our, our traffic personnel I'm doing weather and traffic so I mean it was go 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 but the awesome thing about it is the morning just flew by like you would blink and all of a sudden the show's over it's time to maybe do a few more social posts. Um, we actually did a really cool thing where once a week I'd go to the shelter and we'd highlight um, one dog and one cat that was up for adoption. And that was our Tuesday Tales special. But I mean, other than that, and a school visit to some fourth graders like once a month, that was my day to day. And that show just flew by and your days flew by. And yeah, it was really hard getting up at 2 a.m. because that meant a 6, 7, or 8 p.m. bedtime, depending on if you took a nap. And now I think the hardest thing for me has just been trying to stay busy because we um, have a lot going on, but not a lot of it we're ready for the public to know about yet. So a lot of days we're working on things, we're working on things, but like we can't post it yet. We, um, It's kind of just like, okay, wait for it to hit the groundbreaking stage. Or like, I mean, I think some of these projects are going to take years. I think the hardest thing for me was just being having to like take that step back and being like, okay, slow down. It's a nine to five. It's a desk job, which also means I'm sitting in traffic every morning. Something I never did at 2 a.m. If I was sitting in traffic at 2 a.m., then it's probably a really big accident. Yeah, <laughs> then you probably would have to hop in on traffic reporting too. Yes. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. But so that was probably the hardest thing. Um, I would say the the thing that really transferred over was just like that impact feeling, feeling like um, I'm do still doing something for the community. I mean, when I did weather, I really felt like as a meteorologist, it was my job to help people um, know if there was a big weather disaster on the way, making sure they have their emergency kit ready to go, making sure they know which areas are going to be impacted and which impacts we are expecting. But now I still feel very fulfilled by this role. I just feel like I got very lucky when it came to the show ending and then I was looking for jobs. And then um, my role was actually had just been created because they already have a director of communications, but she was swamped and needed another person. I mean, the timing couldn't have been more perfect. And I think it all just worked out so great and um I still get to have like my passion of the sustainability and um, making a difference and still letting people know okay what are we doing to make South Carolina a better place for maybe you or your family down the road so that I mean people are moving here by the masses same thing as I mean all the southeast we just have so many people moving to our state and the more you build the less place this water has to go. And that's like our main thing is water's going to go where it wants to go. It's not going to follow state boundaries. It's not going to follow political boundaries. When it rains, that water needs somewhere to go. And if it doesn't have somewhere to go, that water now is going to go into someone's home.
because there's nowhere for that water to go. And I mean, that's such a scary, realistic thing that I feel like if you've never lived through it, you just really can't imagine that happening to you until your mom's sending you pictures of the only pictures that you had of you and your father floating in the water or just awful things like that. You hear about it, but not until it happens to you. Are you like, this is a real problem. We need to figure this out. Yeah. I mean, so you touched on something that I'm familiar with because, you know, I follow you and I, I know, um, I, I know you and I keep up with you, but for those who are listening, who, um, do not know about this. So you, um, while you're working as a meteorologist, your family in Florida, where you are originally from, um, they were impacted by a weather event. Uh, so when did that happen? You know, when in your meteorology career did that happen? And, you know, tell us about it. What was that like? Yeah. So, um, hurricane Ian, as we all, many people, obviously, I mean, one of the biggest, scariest disasters we've had in recent times, um, last September, of course, Floridians, many of them, including my family think that nothing's going to happen. Everything's going to be okay. As you know, Hurricane Ian came up the Southwest coast of Florida, then tracked across central Florida. My family lives in New Smyrna beach. By the time that storm got over central Florida, I mean, it was only, and I mean, on the map, it was humongous storm. And, um, this storm was moving, I believe it was seven miles per hour. So in one hour, the center of that storm has only moved seven miles. And I was checking with my mom, um, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., just texting. She's like, everything's fine. The wind's just whipping. Um, it's raining a lot, but everything's fine. Everything's fine. She kept saying, everything's fine. Then I get a call around like 5.30, 6 a.m. And thankfully, we we're in a commercial break. But I answer the phone call, and my mom's just bawling her eyes out, crying. She's like hyperventilating. She's like, the water's in the house. It's past my ankles, it's in the kitchen, it's in the living room, like it's in my bedroom. She's sending me pictures. And I just start like, literally like my heart, my whole chest is just like pounding and I start crying. And then all of a sudden I'm like snap back to reality. I hear in my, um, in my IFB, like in my ear, the countdown for the show. And I need to be back on air in like 30 seconds, like tears wiped off my face. And I'm giving updates for Ian because after Ian went to the East Coast, then it trailed up Georgia and the South Carolina coast. So like we're expecting by the time it got to us, it was still a tropical storm. So like it was still a pretty severe storm, even by the time it got to South Carolina. So I'm trying to get my viewers and my community here ready for this storm. And I just keep showing it on the radar. And it's just like literally right on top of my mom's house. And it was, it was so scary. They had, had to um, get rescued from the house. They, my mom and my grandma were sitting on the kitchen island and the water was almost up to the island. And literally my mom went around and just like grabbed all her valuables. Like we were they were throwing like their most valuable things in trash bags. And then, um, one of their family friends with like a really big truck went and rescued them. So that is definitely wow. the scariest disaster. Um, I wasn't even there, but like just mentally have lived through with my mom and my grandma. I mean, yeah, I don't think, wow. I mean, my grandma can't swim, but I don't think it was like the kind of disaster where, I mean, a tornado or something like that definitely can kill. Yeah. But I mean, 
thankfully water... they were okay yes. yeah but water kills too I mean both like both their cars were totaled the whole house had three feet of water and um I lost my dad when I was nine years old and my mom literally like went around the house and like grabbed me my like favorite stuffed animal that was still at the house and I think she grabbed like a few VHS tapes thankfully a lot of our VHS tapes I had just changed to DVDs so those were at my mom's work but like pictures just all of our pictures just floating in the water and like you know like a normal printout picture like you can't it's not digitally anywhere. A lot of those pictures, like I'll never get to see again. I know that there's people that probably have lost way worse or way more than we did, but no matter what, it's terrifying. And these storms aren't going anywhere. Quite frankly, they're getting bigger. Yeah. Well, you can't, you can't diminish your own experience just because other people have had it worse too, because I mean, it's, that was one of those storms. I remember that I, I felt like you guys like it hit pretty inland and it was moving all over, you know, and throughout all of Florida. So when you were on the air, I mean, you, did you share what had happened or did you wait some time? Because obviously as a journalist, you don't want to give too much of you. I think there's always this balance that even as a news producer, I have had to kind of try to unlearn in other situations because it's sometimes you are uh you try not to give too much of yourself um and mm -hmm. you want to make sure that you're staying objective and clear so um did you share at what point did you share uh what you had been through with your viewing community there's literally a moment where I'm like this I'm like explaining I'm like this storm is like this wide and it's only moving at seven miles per hour and I finally was like leave Florida alone they've had enough I said that on air I was like leave them alone they've had enough and I was like it's our turn now like I think that was just such a traumatic experience and like at the moment when I was on air I didn't know that they had someone coming to rescue them. I didn't know the water was, it finally got to their knees and then to their hips. Like, I don't know. I don't think I fully like put myself there. I was really just trying to keep my game face on and not cry on air with these viewers watching. And yeah, I just had to like pull it together. I know I've heard a lot of people feel like People forgot about Hurricane Ian victims and it happened and it was this crazy storm, but because the news cycle just moves on so fast that a lot of people have forgotten, how has that informed the work you're doing now? Because I feel like you are now on the end where you could be helping people rebuild. Absolutely. And um, a big thing to note, so after a federally declared disaster, um, you the whoever is given like the grant. So um, sometimes it's the county and then sometimes it's the state. So they're given um, in most grants, you get six years for to use that money. So um, there's definitely been disasters where some states or entities haven't even touched their money and it's been a year or two. Um, I do think that Florida is going to be one of the ones that actually already have the ball rolling but like you said a lot of families and people who are impacted by hurricane ian think oh my gosh this happened this was the scariest moment of my life it's been a whole year it's been a year and four months what's going on where's the relief but the federal government works so slow and that's the one of the things we actually had one of our um one of our chief executive officers um went to dc a few weeks ago and testified about um these grants 
um, community development block grants, um, CDBGDR grants, disaster recovery. Um, I mean, a lot of times, not until the storm is declared a federally declared disaster, then you have to like submit all these forms and do all this stuff. By the time that community even sees any money, it might be a year or even two years before that first home is even getting worked on or that first storm drainage project is even getting worked on. And I mean, imagine being the first home and that's in a year or two, imagine being the last home. Imagine qualifying for a for help from that storm and not until five years later, are they like, okay, we're here to help you with the storm that happened five years ago. I mean, by then people leave and it, I mean, it, it's so bad for communities, especially areas like Florida, I mean, given, and then look at Hawaii, for example, there's these people that have lived in these homes and their families lived in these homes and they're just passed on and um, the home may be paid off, which means maybe they don't have insurance or maybe they don't have as much coverage as they should have. Then when a big storm like this comes through, if they can't afford to fix that home, they get up and leave. Then new people move in and they might I mean, if it's a big enough area, they could develop even more on that. And it's really taking like the native Floridians um, out of Florida. And the same thing with Hawaii, with those fires. I mean, there were so many people who they had already paid off their home, maybe didn't have the right kind of insurance. And then you have these big developers that come in and offer you near nothing for your home but it's all the money you have your whole home all your belongings were just burnt down the the only thing you can really do is take the money and go move somewhere else i mean down in florida it's almost impossible to get insurance after ian so many insurance companies went belly up after that storm because they just literally didn't have that in their plan they can't afford to fix all those homes so they just go bankrupt and pull out and everyone's left with no help and um, that's what our governor henry mcmaster said we need to start having funds like we have a fund right now that if we got a storm we actually could be out there within a few days using that money and then when we get the grant the money can be paid back into that fund but that's one of the things is I mean, relief money comes in so slow that literally it could be years until you start seeing stuff. And another thing too, that I've been trying to post and I've been messaging like my mom's, my, my mom and my mom's friends who I know their homes got flooded as well is, um, I mean, unless you watch, I mean, you know, unless you watch the news every segment, every day, you're going to miss stuff. And unless you have notifications on, you're going to miss stuff. So they might have mentioned, I mean, I just found out about this brand new website that literally applications are closing soon for you to apply for assistance after Hurricane Ian. And they might have mentioned it on the news there, but who's sitting there watching the news every single day? And then I feel like when it comes to a storm, like you said, we're a year after the storm and some people completely forgot that that even happened. And then there's some people like my mom who are still living and having dreams of that traumatic experience. And I mean, I brought plastic bins home to my mom and said, I want you to put your, our personal items in this. I mean, what we have left after Ian. And she just doesn't think that that's ever going to happen again in her lifetime.
And that's the thing is like, that's what the insurance companies thought. Like I said, these storms are going to keep happening. They're going to happen again. And we need to have a plan in place. We need to be working on the infrastructure, making sure that that water has somewhere to go. You touched on something that's interesting that I have, uh, <laughs> that because going back to our roots, so you and I met at the Nicholson School of Communication, go Knights, go UCF. And uh, so we are both, uh, you know, in the, we both are journalists. So I would say this, you know, that's our background. That's where our roots are. And uh, there is, and this kind of even goes back to what you were talking about at the beginning. The dynamic of news has changed. It's in this place where it's trying to compete with social media. And because of that, you now have a lot of people who are not always watching the news because they say, hey, you know, I'm not really into the content or whatever. But on your thoughts in how we can make a more informative, I wouldn't say news industry, but just a better information industry. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, just based on being in the industry and now being out of it? Um, I, I truly think, and this is what blew my mind when we lost our morning show because they wanted to go to national programming. It's just I mean, we had our we had a local news every morning. Like, yeah, we had our national segments. We'd have national, literally like blocks that were focused on national. But then we were the only morning show that kept it local all four hours. You could wake up and hear stories that happened right here in your community. And a lot of, we had great stories. We had a lot of accountability stories. People who were living in apartment complexes apartment complexes that were um, unsafe to live there and we got things changed for them we got the mayor involved and I mean I feel like we really made a difference by we always said like um, start local stay local or um, local first and I feel like that was such a big important thing and every person that I meet that I mean every once in a while like in an elevator or wherever if I get recognized they're like oh my gosh, I can't believe they dropped the morning show. That was the best morning show. It was the only local one. And that's what I hear time and time again. And I really think that, I think competition plays a big part of it. I mean, I'm here in Columbia, South Carolina. It's really not that big of an area. I mean, there's no need for us to have four stations. Is what I'm yeah. We have four stations that are all competing against each other for views and for you to watch maybe the same story, but on our channel. And I just think that that is a big problem in the industry that you're having, um, say there's a press conference and you want to interview the governor and then you're asking the governor the same questions that the person before you just asked. I mean, a lot of times you can all sit to stand together and you get the same soundbite. So no matter what channel you're watching, you're probably getting the same exact story. But that, I mean, it, it just likes thins people it thins your viewers out because you might have your favorite meteorologist on one station you might have your favorite sports on the other station and um you're and like I said you're a lot of times you're missing stuff because there's just too much comp competition between the four and we're all and it's exhausting I mean everyone knows that the pay in news is not great well wouldn't it be better if there was only two stations in Columbia instead of four if we could focus on just maybe two reporters on the same story instead of four or um, you're at a, at a sports game and you've got four different news stations. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest problems. And then that also 
I mean, after you watch so much news, you just get an intolerance for it and you either can watch it and it doesn't affect you anymore or you just turn it off completely. And I mean, like I said, that's one of your main ways of finding out resources. I mean, that might be the way that you find out that something's wrong with the people who are picking up the trash and it's going to be late this week. Otherwise, you're going, you're turning to Facebook, you're turning to social media and they're trying to fact check stuff. But when it comes to just normal everyday stuff, it can't all be fact checked. You can't, there's, you can't promise that what you're learning on social media is correct. It's interesting. I feel, I wonder what it's like, because, you know, we, <laughs> we we entered college like 10 years ago <laughs> it's crazy to even think about and I wonder what it's like because when we joined you know when we joined like our journalism schools it's uh Instagram was still new there was no TikTok like YouTube people weren't really doing YouTube like that in that sort of way I mean it's kind of crazy to just the way that the media landscape has changed. And sometimes I find a lot of us who went into traditional media and then left traditional media and are now trying to catch up with everything else. It's a little bit jarring because you have it, you're kind of fighting against principles that you already, um, you know, that you knew and that you kind of ingrained in your brain, your professors ingrained in your brain. And now I wonder if there are less people who are entering this industry because they think, okay, well, um, it's there's this fight to have as many as many hours of programming on so many channels and this is the pay and xyz and there's no way that you could compete with people who are like posting a tweet of something that just happened i mean it's it's one of these things that it kind of feels like an impossible problem but i do wonder um and i don't have the answer to this how it will change and how it will evolve for the next generation of journalists and i know you've said you've spoke you've met a lot of people who have made career transitions i don't know if you have any takeaways that you have kind of gathered from hearing other people's stories about um you know their transitions out of the traditional media landscape or if you have any thoughts on that yeah i mean like you said like um kids nowadays can literally buy like a nice camera or even just a nice phone and make just as good videos, not have to lug around these giant cameras that we learned on. Yeah. I mean, we were never taught how to make like TikToks or any videos like that, but it, these kids are just learning it and they're good at it and they're just running with it, but they never took like the classes that we took that is more so like the writing and um, just being, um, I'm trying to think of like accountable you know. to your yeah your credibility yes. yeah credible there's a lack of uh, like research and ethics and follow through with a lot yeah. of the social the media ethics uh, yeah. definitely because they think oh if I can film it if it's going to get views but then you could stage stuff something that we were always told we never could do and I mean they can just be these journalists without ever going to journalism school but then also by posting their stuff on YouTube, they could be making more money than an actual multimedia journalist that's pitching their stories, shooting their stories, writing their stories, um, editing them all together. I mean, working a whole nine hour day and then turning around and doing it again the next day, every single day, where a lot of these 
other journalists, so to say. I mean, there's even meteorologists that go out and do that storm chasers and they just go out and get storm videos and they can sell them to news organizations or um, weather platforms. And that's how they make their living by just going out and being there where a lot of times journalists are going in, we're waiting to hear what our story is that day. What am I going to go tackle? Do I have do I need to have rain boots on? Like, there's just such like a disconnect there, I feel like. And then, like we said, on top of that, just the competition, you got four people doing the same story, trying to get different angles. How do you make your story look different? And a lot of times, um, news stations, because these these are usually full-time staff, even if you show up and there's a day that you could be working on your sweeps piece that's in three weeks, but, but there's some food drive or something that really does not matter. They feel the need to send you out on that story because you, they need you to do something that day. Well, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that you could still work on, but a lot of news directors are like, nope, you need to turn a story today. Even if the story is literally something that is just a waste of time. Yeah. And that's why a big reason why when I had the opportunity to get out, I, I had to, they offered me to stay and report and do weather stories. And at first I was like, okay, this could be cool. I could do sustainability pieces, like stuff like that. But then I talked to our chief meteorologist um, and he was like, I think this is a good opportunity for you to maybe take a break if you want, um, follow your passion, see if there's something else, because you already know you're going to show up and you're going to be sent out to news stories. They're going to say you, you can do weather stories, but you're going to show up and pitch weather stories and they're going to say, nope. Um, the mayor is over at a canned food drive today and we need you to go cover that. Yeah. And that's um, one of my, I think, biggest takeaways that I just found out is our chief meteorologist who really taught me everything that I knew in those four years. He was amazing. Just taught me how to be my mentor. Yes, completely. Um, Just called me the other day to tell me that his last day at the station was just a week or two ago. He's moving back up north to um, Virginia to be near his family and is going to be doing kind of a PIO role um, for it's either the city or the county that he's moving to. And he's so excited. And I mean, a lot of people, I think they, I think some people know, but not as many really understand it until you've been in the industry for four, five, 10 years, the whole only getting one holiday off. I mean, this year was my first time in five years. I got to go home for Thanksgiving and Christmas every year for the last few few years, we've done Thanksgiving, just me and my husband up here. And, um, one year, like his mom came and one year my brother came, but, um, I had to work Thanksgiving the last four years because I chose Christmas off. And uh, the first year, the second year, I mean, you you learn to live with it. But if you've been doing this like 10 years and you haven't been home for a Thanksgiving because you're choosing one holiday, it it's hard. It's hard to have a family. It's hard to see friends like that. And with the news always being on, I mean, one of the local stations, I think literally is there's like... I think there's six hours out of the 24 hour day that they're not on air. They just have show after show after show. They have five meteorologists. They have a huge staff, but it is just nonstop. And that means if you're not there, someone else has to be standing there doing the weather. It's not like 
any other kind of job where you take the time off, you get all your stuff done, and then you let people know you're going to be out for a few days, and then you play catch up when you get back. The news doesn't work like that. The news is on, and there has to be someone there doing that. I mean, it's it's one of these things that I... I can very much so relate to. I was working overnights for a couple of years. I was um, in my most recent full-time producing role. I was like weekend and floating producer. So through, I mean, many days in a row, all of that. And I think after COVID too, a lot of people started to really think about like, okay, well maybe spending time with my family, I, there is more of this value in that. And um and, and, you know, you had just mentioned you and your husband. I know you guys recently got married. We actually both, I feel like we got married close-ish in a uh, time range. But um, now that you're in your new role, I mean, how has that, like, how has that changed for you now that you guys actually get to see each other? Because <laughs> I know that was a big thing for me, just even being a producer and doing that change. And it's been so nice. So I'm sure, you know, on a positive front that that has been such a blessing. Yeah, it has been. I mean, it has its ups and downs. Like everyone always asks me, do you miss weather? Do you miss doing it? And it's like, there's so many things that I don't miss, but honestly, the sleep schedule was awful. But being able to be off work at like 10, 30, 11 a.m., I mean, empty gym, never sitting in traffic. Um, my husband usually works super early in the morning, so he's usually off by like the afternoon. So I actually feel like I got to see him more. With oh. that <laughs> but, yeah. um, but I also did two years of weekends. So mm. that was definitely like the hardest part was like on the weekend wanting to like go to the gym or do yard work or something. And then just having around like 2 PM being like, okay, I have to go into work. And then if there were sports, I mean, I wouldn't get home until like midnight, some nights. Yeah. I was a weekend producer. I <laughs> weekend nights. I know about that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'm not getting home till midnight. He's already in bed. There was just like, there were so many days and times that we just like didn't see each other or we'd be wanting to hang out and I'd have to stop and go to work. It, I mean, that was really that was really tough obviously but then like with the morning show that's why I mean I worked so hard I did the weekends and um I mean I I filled in as much as I could and um worked all the holidays you're working yeah yeah but then um when I moved to mornings besides having to go to bed early which obviously is like hard but I could always take a nap when I got home I feel like I'm going to work and the sun's just coming up I'm coming home the sun's just going down yeah and um, only on the work from home days <laughs> yes thankfully we do have we have work from home on Fridays and then like if I was ever like kind of sick or like I don't know, like not feeling that great. I could work from home if I needed to. So that's yeah. awesome, awesome because even during COVID, we never had like a work from home option. Like, yeah. Was never like that meteorologist that like had a green screen, like in their basement or something. Like I <laughs> still had to go in every single day and we we're touching the same computers. I don't know how I never got COVID, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, I'm sure it was like also a little bit of a ghost, a ghost town when you were going. I remember at the beginning of COVID, I had a 
a letter from like the government that said like I I could work to drive. like I could drive around then I, yes. I got stopped by the police and the what, what police. were we called like we were called like necessary I'm like yeah like necessary oh, I'm so necessary <laughs> and I like one time it like got crumpled up in my purse and I'm like no <laughs> yeah. stop me? I my necessary no <laughs> but it's good that you didn't have like a, a you know a basement set up because honestly like the lighting in the studio is, is pretty bomb so that's yes. pretty good now and um, you like, know technical difficulties can be so embarrassing too and if like it was like my dog knocked over the camera or something I feel like I would be mortified where like there I know that like everything's set up I feel like even though you get to work from home I feel like it was would have been more work if I would have had to like do the whole setup and like not having someone behind the camera or even yeah. in my ear I don't know yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it definitely takes a village. And I don't think a lot of people realize that, um, you know, even though there's a lot of stations, I know the one I worked at has like robotic cameras and stuff, but there's still a lot, still a lot that goes into it. So, um, you know, kind of going full circle to your beginnings, uh, you know, that brought you to meteorology. I, I feel like meteorology, you know, we talked about kind of the the sad parts of it, but there, it is also, um, stereotypically, I think people always think of meteorologists as like the fun people, like, you know, they, they get to, you get to toss to weather. It's a little bit fun. So, you know, what, what got you into the field in the first place? And were there characters, actors, real life meteorologists that inspired you, um, that made up your meteorological, (laughs) meteorological personality? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, growing up, I used to, um, I used to watch my local meteorologist every morning, Amy Sweezy, which, um, she was on West too, when we were at UCF, I actually, um, ended up interning there twice, um, at West too. So that was awesome. Cause it was kind of like, that was my superhero, like person growing up that I literally would watch every morning and like you said she was like the fun part of the newscast like if they I mean sometimes they'd have like zoo animals and like crazy stuff happen but for the most part that was like the fun segment if the weather was nice which growing up in Florida most of the time it was very nice so um and she was just this like cute blonde woman um kind of even looked like my mom a little bit so I just literally would wake up every morning and I remember I'd we'd watch um the weather and then I would we'd put on the music videos on like VH1 right after <laughs> and that was every morning that's I mean that's how I knew like if I needed to have a jacket or if it was going to be raining and um I just thought that was so cool and then I also um just loved science um throughout my college career and um I did do a mission trip to Haiti and that was really eye opening um after the earthquake and um just I don't know like literally one day I it kind of just dawned on me how single use plastic like how bad it is and just how we really have like this not so great recycling system and um then I like literally fell in love with turtles so then I'm just like becoming this like environmentally friendly person I have my reusable grocery bags and I don't use single-use plastic and um just 
of course, I'm learning about weather. I'm going to meteorology school. So like I'm learning just more about the weather and Mother Earth. And I'm like, we need to treat her better. And I feel like all that as a whole, finally, when I did become a meteorologist, that was like a big part of what I wanted to stand for and be about. So that's why it was so nice when this new role did come about and when what I thought the rug got pulled out from underneath me. We lost our morning show, but then um, found this new position. I was like, okay, this couldn't be more perfect. Like, this is exactly what I want to do. Um, I do wish that, I mean, I think we'll get to a place where we content create a little bit more, maybe um, not so much. I don't need to be on camera. I kind of enjoy not having to be in full makeup or hair like as much anymore but um I am excited to see like where our agency goes with like more content creation and sustainability and stuff like that and um I just as a meteorologist was like this is the only earth that we have this is the only earth we know about so far and we're not being very good to her and need to just be better and honestly in weather and news in general I mean the I think the I think news in general has gotten to a much better place where you can talk about climate change and sustainability more now than just a few years ago, but it's Absolutely. still like a touchy place. A lot of stations, like um, it really depends on what network you're on and um, if they're going to even let you talk about climate change or sustainability or anything like that, because sadly there's people that don't think it exists there's people that believe the earth is flat still so um you don't want to burn any bridges you don't want to lose viewers but at the same time are we muting ourselves in ways that we should be talking more about these things it's like are you censoring the good things just because you don't want to hurt a few people who can't wrap their head around the fact that we're not being good to mother earth Whew. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the th you know, sometimes people talk about uh, villain origin stories, but you have such a hero origin story. I mean, I'm so excited to see how all these things combine together as you just continue in this role and continue to grow. And I hope that even beyond this podcast, maybe there will be room for some collabs one day um, in yes. the sustainability space and all of that. But I um I'm really inspired by the journey that you've been on. And do you have any do you have any thoughts for you know anyone who's trying to who's either interested in, in interested in meteorology or sustainability for you know the next generation of you know <laughs> Samanthas and Anastasias who mm -hmm. are looking at the media field and seeing like what what are their opportunities? So what is your hope and your message for those people? Um, I would say definitely figure out something that other than just like news, like have your, um, what do they call it in news? Your, like your, like for me, like weather, but like have something that you're passionate about. Focus. Yeah. Like your focus. Like um, if you're into like crime, I mean, I have a friend, um, one of my journalist friends that I worked with at watch, she's now in Louisiana and she's working on cold cases and like, that's her thing. Like she loves that. So I feel like a lot of times growing up, you're like, you see a sideline, like sports reporter and you're like, she's so cute. Like I want to be her or something like that, but you can't just 
go through journalism school and be like, I want to be a sports reporter. Like you need to watch the sports. You need to love the sports. You need to go play the sports, like, and maybe focus on one sport or like, you need to have something that still makes you passionate about it. And you can't just be like, I want to be the cute girl on the TV reporting on this. I mean, if you have crime or if you're into cold cases or you're into the environment or, um, maybe um like shelters and people that do um resources with food and stuff like that um just having like that niche is so important because that's what's going to fuel your personality that's what's going to fuel what you end up wanting to do and if you don't have that fire underneath you you're going to get burnt out so quickly and just having that passion is so important yeah. And I mean, it's, you definitely have that. And this has been such a lovely conversation. I don't want it to end, but mm-hmm. we are in the middle of a work day. <laughs> I so I, I am so happy that we got to chat. I am, you know, do you have a sign off for us or anything? Did you ever have a weather sign off a very, any fun sayings that I used to say back on air? Um, I don't think so. I, so now I keep seeing like all these, funny meteorologists I mean I feel like some of them are taking it too far like the dancing <laughs> stuff. the ones who put the but, lyrics in the in the cast yes. <laughs> I'm like why didn't I think of that but um I'm glad that I kind of kept it more serious but um I also am like I just feel like with Sammy like I could have been like Sammy Sunshine or I don't know like something cuter but I did I was just so new to it also and was just I mean if you I'm hoping that I deleted them all but like my first few clips just seeing like the progression like I was just so like scared and uncomfortable and then um, by the time I was in it after two three years I finally got like comfortable and I feel like once you pass that like four or five year mark that's when you can start like getting creative I think your first few years the focus is just okay let me get this right I don't want to embarrass myself I don't want to stutter I don't want to look like I'm reading so like there's just so much going on in your head that I feel like that's why you're now starting to see those meteorologists and news personalities that have been doing this for 10 years finally like getting creative being like okay like people know they can trust me. Like I have my following now. If you get a little fun or silly, you don't lose like that seriousness. That credibility. Yes. Yes. And so it would have been sayonara from Sammy Sunshine. (laughs) Exactly. And I still have my weather with Sam. Like, um, so, um, Dr. Knight, which I'm sure you had too in nightly news. Um, she made us all get Twitters. Like I didn't even have a Twitter in in uh, my senior year of college didn't even have a Twitter I mean Twitter was around but I just never had one and then she was like make a cool name like this is it this is going to be your name like as if you could never change your username and I'm like weather with Sam and then um, I definitely had I like to cook too so I had like a lot of people that are like you need to do a cooking with Sam like segment so those were my only things like I would have wanted to be a little more fun or silly as I got more into it. But I think I still had to like grow my credibility and yeah. And there's still room for you to be fun and silly in, in, in the next horizon of the stuff you're doing, but we'll, we'll give a sayonara from Sammy Sunshine. (laughs) Who calls out the set? My natural lighting is going away. Oh my God. No, the lighting is actually perfect. 
Thank you for tuning in to The Analyzation Show. If you'd like to hear more from Samantha Brooks, follow her Instagram at weatherwithsam. And if you'd like to hear more from me, follow me on Instagram at Analyzation Show or at Anastasia Brenman. As always, if you liked what you heard, please like, subscribe, give me some stars, love some stars. Um, and if you didn't like what you heard, then um, you know, I'll try again next time. But until next time, bye.